You'll see what the bucket's for later. I know how that works. You're not all sure if you're glad you're here yet because you haven't heard the speaker yet. So the pressure's on me. No, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a privilege to be here on Mother's Day. Once again, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, it seemed kind of strange this morning they were announcing all the different mission things going on that uh, basically sort of a missions week is kicking off with Mother's Day. But then I thought, you know, I know the mothers out there are the warriors, and they've been missioning and praying and worrying for their children since day one that they were born, and it doesn't seem strange to me at all that uh, it's tied in with Mother's Day. I'm going to um, just tell you a little bit about who I am and what we do, and, uh, and then I'm going to tell a story. That's what the bucket's for, show a little video. But before I do that, I just want to thank Derek and the team here for having us. It really is a blessing. And I'd like to also introduce my wife, who's over there. Her name is Susie. She's the mother of our five children. And uh, we've been missionaries in Mexico for 27 years. And, uh, and I can summarize uh, my calling and my heart with two simple concepts. One of them is unto the least of these. And the other one is the desire to raise up young people that are radically passionate about serving God. That's what we're all about. That's pretty much about everything we do is all about. And um, the first years of my missionary service in Mexico, that brought me to remote Indian villages in the mountains of southern Mexico with people that spoke Indian dialects, sometimes uh, not friendly, sometimes very hostile, uh, extreme um, persecution sometimes, but we were able to stay there for nine years. We planted nine churches during the nine years that we were there. Eventually, we ended up having to leave because of persecution, and when we left, we left this village of 500 people, if you can imagine this and relate to this. We lived in this little small village up in the mountains of 500 people, and we moved to the city of Puebla, Mexico, which is a city of three million people. And when we moved there, we really didn't know what we were going to do. We, we weren't really sure. We, were, we knew God was going to do something different, but we didn't know what it was. And we were visiting other churches and visiting ministries and try to get a, an idea of where God was leading us. But as we did that, every place I went, I'd see these little kids on the streets. Sometimes just a few of them, sometimes in, in larger numbers and gangs, and uh, groups of kids in the bus station, in the markets, um, by busy intersections and things like that. And I kept on, you know, wondering what is up with these little kids? What's the story with these kids? Do they have a family? Do they have a house? Are they just poor? Are they street kids? You know, what's going on? And then a day that God had ordained that changed my life for the rest of my life, I met a little boy in an intersection, in a really busy intersection on a busy street in Mexico, and I won't tell you the details of the whole story, but he was eight years old. His name was Juan, and he had been living out on the streets by himself uh, in a gang of other kids for about a year. So from when he was seven years old to eight years old, he lived in this gang, and he was surviving by basically just begging for money in the intersections, and I hate to say it, but prostituting himself with older uh, male men. And um, as I talked to this little boy, 
you know, again, I'm in this place where I'm asking God, God, what do you want us to do with the rest of our lives? What do you want us to do with the next phase of our, of our mission service to you? And I'm confronted by this little boy. And, and I have to say, at the time, it was the biggest challenge I'd ever faced in my life. And one of the questions was, how do I preach the gospel to this little kid? How do I, how do I tell this little boy that God loves him? You know, how is he going to believe me when I try and tell him that? And without having other, any other way to say it, I finally just came out and said, you know, Juan, I don't know if you can understand this or, or relate to this or believe this, but there's an awesome, loving, powerful God out there, and he loves you. He has a plan for your life. I said, you know, all this, this stuff that's happened to you, he had told me his life story, um, it wasn't God's plan. You know, there's evil things in the world. There's evil people in the world. And, uh, and this isn't it. God has a better plan for you. As I was talking to him, he had bowed his head and, and, and you know, he was begging for money. And I wasn't sure if when I got done, he was just going to look at me and say, would you just give me some money? You know, just, just leave me alone. If you want to help, help me with some money or something. But when I got done, he lifted up his, his, his face and he looked at me. He had tears in his eyes. And he said, will you please help me? I don't have anything. I don't have anyone. I have no place to go. And I don't know what to do. I don't want to live like this. Please help me. I'll never forget that moment. And that was the, the, the for us in our lives, the beginning of a big change that we didn't um, even comprehend at the time. Sometimes I think we still don't comprehend it. Um, but it started us down the path to how do we get you know, all the legal permissions and, and approval from the government and uh, support and understanding to build a place, to have a place specifically for kids like Juan, a place where these kids can get off the streets and come in and have simple, basic things that, that we've probably taken for granted our entire lives, things like, like food, and a bed, a roof over your head, safety at night that you're not going to be attacked or, or something, uh, basic medical care, and, and some love. And uh, it started us down a, down a path, as I said. Uh, we eventually got permits from the government. We started a place, we called it um, Esperanza Viva, which translated as Living Hope. And we call it Living Hope because knowing that Jesus is alive. Jesus gave his life for us. He died on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. As long as he's alive, there's hope. There's hope for little kids like Juan. There's hope for every single one of us in anything that we're facing. And we started this place, and that was 17 years ago. And since then, we've taken in almost uh, or approximately 400 kids off the streets, boys and girls of all ages, um, each one with their own individual, incredible, sometimes, most oftentimes, tragic stories. And, um, and unique, every single one of them just unique in their own way. Since then, we've also started a, a, another church in the city that now has grown to about 700 people. And we started a ministry which is, I love as much as I love the orphanage, which is a ministry training center for young adults that, that desire to just sell themselves out for Jesus and serve the Lord. Many of them are desiring to be sent off to different countries around the world to start similar projects like the one we're doing. 
and we have an educational school, which was sort of a surprise to me because I, didn't, I, I planned on starting an orphanage, but once we got the kids in, I found out they can't go to normal school. You know, a 14-year-old that's in second grade doesn't fit in. So we had to start a school, and uh, now, after 17 years, we have our first kids actually in college and university in Mexico, which is an awesome thing for us. And we're going to show a... Show a little video about the ministry. just so blessed at all that God has done. I, I talked about the kids with um, school, and when we first started, elementary school was obligatory. That was it. And then junior high became obligatory. Now high school is obligatory. But when we got into high school, you know, that's a whole other challenge as far as teaching high school. And we got offered a correspondence course through the um, one of the most prestigious universities in the country, basically be the equivalent of Stanford University, saying we're going to start high school and we're doing a correspondence high school course and we're going to offer it to you guys for free. And then they said, um, if your kids graduate from this because it's going to be tough, they'll have a chance to get a scholarship at our university. So we said, great. We had our first kids graduate and we contacted them and said, hey, we got some kids, they got some pretty good grades you know, how about these scholarships? And they said, yeah, if they qualify, they can compete. And we said, what do you mean compete? Well, they, they score on a percentage in Mexico, so they have to have 85% average or above to be able to go and be tested. So we had a couple kids that had 85 or above, 
and we sent them in for testing. We didn't know what it was all about. They locked them up for five days. They did testing for eight hours a day on every subject you can imagine. And this was being done on a national level. Anybody in the country that asked for the scholarship um, was put into this place and locked up on the university and given these tests. And one of our orphan kids um, won the presidential scholarship. He won a full scholarship to the best university in the country, competing against all the rich kids in the country, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, so now he's in the university uh, on a full scholarship, which is awesome. A really another awesome thing, and I'm excited that, that um, you guys are preparing a group to come down to us just in a short amount of time, and, and uh, it's such a blessing to have the participation and the support and the help because we couldn't do it without you. And when groups come, I just have to warn you, if you sign up for one of these trips, you might get your life turned upside down. Something happens. And I can't explain it, but it's this dynamic of what God is doing and these street kids and their stories and the group and people being taken out of their environment and they're hungry for Jesus. And God shows up and it's just an awesome, awesome thing to be part of. And, uh, and we're privileged just to be part of it. If you can sign up for one of those groups, I'd really encourage you. And to me, again, uh, a lot of this comes as a surprise you know, how much God has moved and how much God has done and how much God works in the life of these kids and how much God works in the life of the people that visit us, but it really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. In James 1.27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I didn't really realize how much God has a heart for the underdog, for the orphans, for the, for the widows, for the most needy unto the least of these until we really started doing this ministry. And in Psalm 68.5, it says that uh, a father to the fatherless is God. He's the father of all the fatherless, and he just loved these little kids. And, and, and to me, it's just so awesome. I've, just, I've always wanted my life to count for something. I just, you know, we're here for a short time, we got one shot, it's going to be over, and I want it to be worth it. And I, don't, I feel like I found the best of the best in being able to, to have a ministry and serve these little kids. And like I said, uh, one child at a time, one student at a time, one visitor at a time, and each one just has their own incredible, unique story. And I want to tell a story today about one of our, our little boys that came in, and his name was Chucho. And I have a picture of him uh, just a little while after he came to us. When he came, he was about eight. I think here he's about nine. And you can see he's got a bald spot on the top of his head. And he's, he's, a, he's a real stocky little kid. He was really strong. And, um, and Chucho came to us. He had been living with his grandparents, who were extremely old and poor and couldn't take care of him. And uh, you can't see it in the picture, but he had... Um, whip marks, almost like a slave like you've seen in movies, all over his back. And when we asked him what it was, he said his grandmother used to whip him with a, with a wire, like a, an electrical cable that she whipped him with. And he came with a, with a brother, and they said they were twins, but the funny thing is they weren't the same age and they didn't look anything like each other. <laughs> and the brother 
Chucho's kind of cute. The brother wasn't as lucky to be quite as cute as Chucho. And on part of the side of his head was kind of mangled, and he was missing a big uh, chunk off of his ear. And I asked him one day, uh, his name was Luis, Luis, what happened to your ear? And he said, uh, one time when my grandpa was mad, and, and I thought I was curious because he didn't say he got mad at me, he just said, my grandpa was mad, he hit me in the head with a brick. And I lost part of my ear when that happened. But uh, they brought Chucho and Luis to us, and sometimes these kids, cute little kids in the picture, right? But sometimes they're like animals. And they scratch, and they kick, and they bite, and they, they pull hair, and... Um, and sometimes they just want to test you in every single way there is. And when Chucho came to us, that's how he was. And, and one day, um, I was out in the courtyard, and the, the, some of the staff came up to me and said, Chucho's just uncontrollable today. He's, he's after every little kid, and he's fighting with all the supervisors, and nobody can control him. He's just beside himself. And I'm the, I'm the guy in charge, right? So i got to fix this. So I think I can control Chucho. I'm going to take care of this. You know, I'm not going to let this go on. And he's just a little kid. I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. So I go, and I, and I had this thought, I have to control him so he doesn't hurt anybody or hurt himself. And I'm just going to, I'm going to control him. I'm going to go, and I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to get my arms completely around his body and his arms, and I'm going to pick him up, and I'm going to hang on to him. And I, and I thought, I'm going to hang on to him pretty tight. I just want to hold him tight for some reason. I... I thought this was going to work. And, uh, and I went and I picked him up off the ground, and I walked, I saw a bucket in the courtyard, and I thought, okay, this is it. I said, Chucho, you're going to sit with me on this bucket. And I came and I sat down on the bucket with Chucho in my arms, and he's sitting on my lap, and, uh, and he's squirming and fighting, and he's trying to get away. And, you know, like I said, he's kind of stocky and strong, and he's really struggling, and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, Chucho, I'm stronger than you. You know, don't, don't do this. You know, I'm just going to hang on. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to hold you. But I'm not going to let go until you settle down. And he kept doing this, and he's going on and on and on. After about 10 minutes, I thought, I think I'm stronger than he is. <laughs> I think I can hang on. <laughs> and, and he just kept doing this, and he's working up a sweat, and I'm working up a sweat, and, you know, he's going on and on, and I... I kind of wanted to give up, but I thought I better not. And I just held on to him. And eventually, his struggle got a little bit less. He was whimpering a little bit. I was talking to him, you know, Chucho, just calm down, just settle down. You know, it's going to be okay. I, I don't know why you're doing this. And little by little, he just sort of melted, and eventually he fell asleep in my arms. And, and then I didn't want to get up because I didn't know how he was going to react after I got up, but... I thought I, I should just hold him for a while. So here's the scene in the midst of our orphanage in the middle of the courtyard, this big white guy sitting on a bucket holding <laughs> this little kid that had been running havoc all day, and he's sound asleep and he's cuddled up and he just kind of has my head on, his head on my shoulders. And I think I sat there with him for about an hour, and I, and I remember thinking, you know, how much God loved them and how God sometimes comes and just grabs a hold of us until you know, we settle down or come to our senses or realize or something. But after a while, he woke up, and he woke up, and he just kind of looked at me, 
and he didn't say anything and he didn't do anything and he didn't struggle and he didn't try to get away and I remember thinking something happened I don't know what it what it was I don't know how it happened I don't know what happened but something happened something happened to Chucho that morning after that he was a different kid he didn't fight he didn't struggle he didn't kick he didn't bite he didn't try to hurt people and as the story goes on Chucho grew up he stayed in our orphanage for years and years and years and he became one of the nicest, most helpful, um, courteous, respectful kids that we've ever had in the orphanage of all 400 kids that we've taken in. And uh, came a time, and it was Chucha was turning 18, and he had a little. We had a little cake and a birthday, like we we do for all the kids. But uh, the following week, I was in my office, just just working. Chucho came to my office and he, and, he, and he seemed like, you know, there was something urgent. He had to talk to me and he said, Jerry, I got to talk to you. I got to, we really got to talk. And, and I could tell, you know, something was going on. I thought, what could possibly be urgent, you know, for Chucho? And <clears throat> I didn't say this before, but um, Chucho uh, was born with learning disabilities. So he's, he's not, he's, he's kind of slow nicest kid you could possibly meet but just not really really intelligent and he comes in he says Jerry we got to talk and I said I said yeah Chucho okay you know what's going on and he said well I'm 18 now I turned 18 and I'm like yeah I remember you know we had a cake do you remember we had the cake you know a birthday party and stuff he says, yeah yeah you know but but the thing is I'm 18 now see and 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 I gotta tell you because um God's been telling me for years that when I turned 18, after I'm 18, I'm going to go find my mom now. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure this out. Wait a minute. You know, Chucho, you came to us 10 years ago. Your grandparents, who were in their late 70s, dropped you off with us. They hadn't seen your mom for about five years at that time. A little while later, we, we brought you out there to try and visit your grandparents. It was hard to even find them. They still had no word of your mom. You know, you haven't seen your mom since you were five years old or something, and, and we don't have a clue where she is, and I understood that she was older when, when you know, you were dropped with us. She, she may not even be alive anymore. And I'm thinking all these things, and I'm thinking, how do I tell Chucho that this is, this is an impossible dream? You know, this is just, it can't happen. You don't, you don't understand, Chucho. You know, you, your mom's gone. And, and I'm thinking about this, and he sees me thinking, and he says, Jerry, you, you know, I'm 18 now, and God's been telling me this. God said, I'm going to find my mom. And I'm going, yeah, but Chucho... Um, you know, that was way on the other side of the country and, and, and you know, I just, I, we don't have the people or the money or the time and, and it, you know, and he says, no, Jerry, you, you don't understand. See, Mother's Day's coming up and it was like a week before Mother's Day and he said, God told me I'm going to find my mom on Mother's Day and now I'm just like, oh, poor Chucho, <laughs> you know, what... Am I going to tell this kid? You know, I don't even have words, and I'm trying to tell him all these things and explain it to him. 
and, and you know, that costs hundreds of dollars, and we got to send social worker, and, you know, and he says, no, Jerry, I, you don't understand. God's been telling me this for a really long time. I've been, I've been saving my money. I have all the money. I know exactly how much it costs. We had been given to, to like a, a, just a small allowance for snacks and things like $5 a month. He's been saving this for years with this plan of once he turns 18, the first Mother's Day after his birthday, he's going to go find his mom. And I'm still trying to figure out how to tell him, you know, after 10 years of you know, believe God, trust for miracles, you know, you, you can do it, uh, you know, Tucho, you, you, you didn't hear right on this one. And he says, Jerry, I'm, I'm 18 now, you just have to let me go do this. And he's hardly ever been outside the orphanage. He doesn't know his way around the city, let, let, let alone his way across the country. But he's got it all figured out, he's got a little map, he's got his money, he called, he found out how much the bus tickets were. And I finally realized, I just have to let him go. I'll, I'll pick up the pieces afterwards, right? So I give him all my phone numbers. I give him my cell phone number. I make sure he's got my office phone numbers. And I, okay, Chucho, here's the deal. After three days, you can go. After three days, you have to call me. I don't care what happens. I don't care where you are or you know, if you found her or didn't found her. You have to promise me you're going to call me after three days. He says, okay. So he takes off, and the days are going by. I got my cell phone by me, and I'm kind of anxiously waiting. I'm planning for three days what I'm going to tell him when he calls. Because I'm expecting a phone call, and he's going to be crying. He's going to be lost. He lost all his money. He got robbed. I, I don't know what happened, but it's going to be a, a disaster, right? And I'm waiting, and the days go by, and the phone rings, and I look at it. It's an unidentified number, and I'm going... Oh, it's Chucho. I still don't know what I'm going to say. I answer the phone, and he goes, Jerry. And I said, yeah, Chucho, you know, how you doing? Just a minute. My mom wants to talk to you. <laughs> I'm like, what? Huh? And this lady gets on the phone, and she's, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you took care of my Chucho. I love you. And she's going on and on, and I'm still kind of like, what? Who? Chucho. <laughs> And Tucho gets back on the phone. He says, Jerry. And I said, what? So my mom gave her life to Jesus. I talked to her, and, and she prayed with me. And I found her on Mother's Day, Jerry. And I'm just like, what? Who? Tucho? <laughs> and then he, he gets back, and he says, uh, I got a favor to ask. And I'm like, what? And he says, can I stay for two more days? <laughs> Tucho, you can do anything you want, man. Just go for it. So he stayed, and then, and then a few days later, he came back. He's telling me all about it, and he got to this village that he was told by his grandparents that they used to live in, and he went through the entire village looking for his mom or looking for somebody that had heard of her or knew of her and, and found a few people that had heard of her but hadn't seen her for, for years and, uh, and he was leaving the village on the third day, basically uh, almost defeated. And as he was leaving, walking out on a dirt road, he was praying and he saw a lady coming from a distance that he couldn't even make out. And he knew in his heart that that was his mom. And as they got closer and they were able to begin to recognize each other, 
she, she hadn't been to that village for something like 15 years and felt like she was supposed to go back there on that day. She didn't know why. And she saw Chucho, and they literally, like a movie, ran into each other's arms and embraced each other and just stood there and cried for, for quite a while. And he's telling me all this, and you know, we have our staff around, and we're all just like, what? Ah, okay, you know, wow, I mean, Chucho. This is a miracle. And, but he's kind of sad. And, and I couldn't figure out why he's sad. And then, you know, everybody kind of, after everybody else left, he said, Jerry, I, I just got to tell you something. And I said, what? And he, he said, um, I want you to know that, that, that I really love you guys and everything you've done for me. And, and I don't want you to feel bad. And I, I feel bad and all this, but I feel like I'm supposed to go take care of my mom now. And, of course, we're like, chucho, you know. I couldn't hear anything better than that. I mean, th this is, that's the best thing we could hear from you. You know, that, that's right, you know. Uh, this, this is great, you know. I think you should do that. And so my mom's really poor and she's kind of sick. And, 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 and he says, but, but this is what God told me. <laughs> I, I should have I really, you know, okay, wait a minute. God's talking to Chucho. I better tune in here. Um, but, but he says, I'm going to go take care of my mom. I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to fix up her house, and I'm going to get her the medicine, and, you know, I'm going to take care of her, but I'm going to do this for two years. And then I'm coming back. And, and I'm just kind of still in a daisy. He says, Jerry, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to come back because I want to work in the ministry. And I still didn't believe him, but I thought, whatever, Chucho, you know, just go and take care of your mom and see what happens. He says, I'm coming back in two years, Jerry. And he left, and time went by. We weren't really paying attention. And, uh, and lo and behold, we're at church. We're having our Christmas service. And I was just, you know, how we're busy and everything. And I turn around, and here's Chucho behind me. He says, I told you I was coming back. <laughs> and uh, he works up in the orphanage in Matamoros now, our second orphanage that we have up on the border, and he helps out there with the, with the older boys. And uh, I want to read this verse that I think relates to all of us. It says, because 1 Corinthians one twenty-five through 27, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the faith, faith, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has cho chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. It just seems amazing to me, and I had been a missionary for 20 plus years at that time, and this little eight, simple eight-year-old little boy was trying to tell me, God told me. God told me this. And it was beyond my ability to believe that God was really speaking to Chucho and yet have the story that's even hard to believe of how after 15 years he went out on Mother's Day and found his mom in a remote Indian village something only God could do. And then he witnesses to her, 
and brings her to the Lord. When, when Chucho moved to, um, to Matamoros to work in the orphanage, one of the jobs he had was he'd go to a grocery store that donated us uh, fruit and vegetables and things to the orphanage, and they would sort through it because some of it wasn't usable, and they'd, they'd sort through it and throw that away, and they'd sort out the good stuff to bring back to the orphanage. And he had been, been doing this, and he, him and his brother, Luis, and they got off, and they were on their way back to the orphanage, and a, a, a cartel pickup truck with cartel people, gang people, from the drug cartels, picked him up, put him in the van, put a, a pillowcase over his head, handcuffed him, and tried to recruit him for the cartels, which is what they do with young people. And I can just imagine this scene. I didn't tell the story in the first service, but I can just imagine this scene. Who are you? I'm Chucho. <laughs> I'm Chucho. Where do you come from? I come from the orphanage, Esperanza Viva. No, where did you grow up? I grew up in the orphanage, Esperanza Viva. What are you doing? We're, we're getting the donated fruit. How much do they pay you? They don't pay me anything. Why do you do this? We're helping the other kids, kids like me that grew up on the streets. Do you want to be part of the cartel? You can be rich. You can, you can have drugs. Chucho says to the guy, the guy's got a gun pointed at him, and Chucho says, can I talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> and the guy says to him, you want, I got a gun pointed at you with bullets in it, and you want to talk to me about Jesus? And Chucho says, yeah. God has got all the answers. I don't need drugs. I can just imagine these people. They drove them around the city for hours, and then they just dropped them off and said, okay, count to 100 and then run away. I think they counted to about six and took off. And he's, he's up there and he's working in the orphanage. I, I was listening to a, a song this morning, a worship song, and within the song I heard these lyrics. If it doesn't hurt, it isn't love. If it doesn't hurt, it isn't enough. And I honestly, honestly believe that God breaks his heart for every one of us every single day. God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. He loves these little kids, and he can do anything. I think of so many times when God asks me to do something or asks any one of us to do something, and we have so many different reasons why we can't. We have so many different excuses and so many different fears and so many different doubts and so many different limitations. And yet I, I, I have to remind myself sometimes of Chucho and even my lack of faith that he was actually hearing from God and God was going to do what he told him he was going to do. If God can do that with a, with a simple little kid, what can he do with any single one of us? What could he do in our lives, through our lives, to touch this world and touch the lives of other people that so desperately need Jesus. And I'm going to close with these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger. 
giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers once in the land of Egypt. Thank you for having us this morning. Thank you for being part of Living Hope International on Esperanza Viva. Thank you for your prayers. God bless you today.